Welcome to Foothills Youth Podcast, where we help people follow Jesus. I hope these resources are a blessing to you. We are a student ministry based out of Northwest Calgary, and our hope, our desire, is that we see students become resilient disciples in a post-Christian nation. So may this podcast just be a blessing to you in your journey. All right, we do have handouts if you're a handout person. You can use the handout. If you're not a handout person, I don't care. I'm not a handout person. Uh, so I totally understand that. Um, and yes, I murdered trees um, because, because I truly believe that, um, that you can edit this later out of the podcast, but um, forestry is one of Alberta's um, top industries. So the more I use paper, um, the more I feel like Albertans are working. Um, I know that sounds terrible, but <laughs> that's also why I drive uh, <laughs> gasoline cars. So, um, but we can talk about my environmental policies later. All right, so I'm um, talking about discipling the next generation. Um, every time I look up here, I think it says disciplining but it's not, it's discipling. And I don't think that's an actual word, but I'm using it, alrighty? So, uh, we're gonna see how my little remote works. Yay, all right. So this is the very simple part. Uh, Matthew 28, 19 to 20 says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Um, for those of you on the podcast listening to this, this is my actual voice. I'm not making this up. This is the only voice I was born with, um, which I often say when I hit puberty, um, my voice started to change and then didn't. So, <laughs> so this is what I was left with. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Um, <laughs> So the discipleship struggle, what is it? What does it look like? How do we do it? Uh, and that's, that's really where we're gonna land kind of today. I'm gonna abandon this thing real quickly because I suck at it. Um, Nick, yeah. can you kind of do my arrows? Awesome, thank you. All right. Here's my struggle with um, the discipleship, what we've understood to be discipleship. And for those of you who need to get pie or dessert, feel free to go. And if you need to get water, feel free to go. But here's my struggle. Um, with this discipleship idea, it seems to be something we are putting on to someone else. It's something we are doing to someone. Um, and I really, really struggle with that idea or that concept. So before I even go down that road, I want to talk about this. What does my own spiritual walk look like? How am I pursuing discipleship? Am I growing in my faith? Um, my feeling is, as Christians, we have to be continually in a process of growing towards Christ 
through that we become disciple makers if we are not growing it's completely impossible for us to help someone else grow nick let's go to the next one <clears throat> so here during this whole talk we're going to have these pause and discuss moments where you guys get to chat around your tables and i do that specifically to force you to have to think about what we're talking about rather than just stare at me um which is great fun for me because i'm going to walk around and um hear what you're saying but how would you describe <coughs> discipleship or the process of making disciples and there what examples of discipleship <laughs> have you seen that was so weird have you seen in your own life so that's i'm gonna give you uh, look on my apple watch and i'm gonna get a timer and i'm gonna give you like zero time to do this i'm gonna give you two minutes okay all right so i don't think you're gonna have time to have all the questions answered and i don't care about that some of you in this room will really feel like you failed if you haven't answered all the questions i really don't care about that either okay go <laughs> I know you haven't had enough time because I honestly it's just to start the conversation it's not to carry on it all day long um, how would you describe discipleship or the process of making disciples so any thoughts from the tables 
<laughs> yeah. No. You need relationship before you can disciple. I love that. It's a great answer. Well done. Well, I don't know what your table will be. Table number one. Well done, table number one. Any others? We have the relationship piece. Yep. Walking alongside people to help them grow in their spiritual life. I love that. Yes, walking along. This is for you in the podcast. Walking along um, with them as they grow. Is that what you kind of said? Yeah, or to help them grow in their spiritual life. Nice. Stephanie has a thought. Stephanie, hit me. Perfect. So going along in their relationship so that they can help someone else and do the same. Brilliant. Good, good. All right. So any thoughts over here? I, I don't know why you're looking at me. I'm looking towards your table, but you're technically at your table. So it looks like I'm looking at you. Any thoughts? We're going to go to the last one. Kind of same. Same? Yeah. Let the record show that um, <laughs> table four said the same. Uh, <laughs> all right. What examples? Of, you know, you're all going to watch this podcast or listen to it just to see how brutal um, my reflecting on the podcast was. <laughs> what examples of discipleship have you seen in your own life? Anyone feel like talking about that? I, I see pointing. Yeah. Okay. Well, my mom leads a daybreak class at the Thursday mornings at this church, and she nice. disciples a lot of women. She also like mentors a lot and, and helps them along in their uh, faith walk. So I think that's cool. That is very cool. I love that. Any more over here? Mm-hmm. We said our parents. Oh, how? <laughs> I said my parents. <laughs> it's a great answer. I just, I just need more. Excellent. Okay, Nick. Give me another shot. Give me another shot. Bum, bum, bum. All right. So, the faith suitcase. Here's a concept that I... I really like this idea. Um, I don't see that many kids carrying around suitcases anymore, so I think maybe we have to go with the faith backpack or the faith... Fanny pack. Duffel bag. Oh, yeah, the faith... Fanny pack. If we could have like three F's, the faith fanny. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, the faith fanny pack. Um, here's my here's my idea with this: that every single one of us has this faith fanny pack that we all carry. It comes with us wherever we go. Whenever we come to a place where we have to make a decision, we kind of open that up and we see kind of how we will respond. Now, in all of our faith suitcases, some of what we believe was packed for us. Um, We all have these things I would call like souvenirs or passport stamps or ticket stubs. So places we've been, stuff we've been a part of, it's all coming into our faith fanny pack. Um, as we kind of go along. And now, what I want to have us understand 
for most of us, kind of our spiritual walk was generally packed for us. I don't think it becomes our own faith suitcase or faith fanny pack until we start packing it ourselves. And so the process of discipleship for me is actually <clears throat> analyzing what we believe and kind of unpacking that what was packed already. So looking at parents, looking at other people in our lives, what have they put into our fanny pack that we want to keep? And what is the stuff? Sometimes you pick up something and go, I don't know where this came from. I don't even know why I have this, but I carry it around all the time. It's good, especially when you're thinking about the next generation. Pretty much all your junior high kids have a fanny pack full of someone else's ideas of what faith is. Um, it's either their parents, it's their Sunday school teachers, um, it could be a school teacher, especially if they're in Christian school, it's probably packed full of a bunch of rules, right? Um, and I think the struggle is they believe they are successful at Christianity because of a full fanny pack. The struggle is if they didn't pack it, when they come across a time in their lives where they don't have an answer, they're going to look in this fanny pack and that's not the time to assess whether I agree with it. Because what I've seen in youth ministry is a lot of times kids will come across a scenario that they don't know how to have an answer for and they look to the fanny pack that they didn't pack mm -hmm. and they take everything out and go, I don't agree with any of this and mm -hmm. toss it. And one of the things that we are attempting to do in youth ministry is help kids understand that this was your parents' faith and it's good, but it has to be yours or you are not prepared to follow Christ. Discipleship is a really a process of us taking on our own faith and running with it. So does that make sense with the fanny pack? All right, we're gonna move on to the next little boxes which reminds me of the beginning of the show Weeds. Um, <laughs> which hopefully none of you watch. But uh, anyways, um, here's my feeling with boxes. So we went from fanny, Faith Fanny Pack. I believe all of us at some point in time have mastered the art of knowing everything there is to know about Jesus. All of us at some point have been like, I get it, I totally get it. And then we seal it up in a little box and we're like, I'm good, I'm gonna put this here. And I think whatever I've experienced in my own life is that Jesus is not satisfied with the box. And so constantly in our own lives, he wants to get out of the box. And I find with, especially with um, older generation Christians they feel like they know everything they need to know about who Jesus is and so they're no longer trying and my fear with youth leaders is often we have the idea that we have to know everything and I want to tell you right now my belief 
My belief in the concept of sanctification is that Jesus will continually teach us even after we die. So he will continually pour into us. And when we stop, when we think we know everything, I think that's when we get hit by a bus. Right? It's when you decide, I must have everything. We have to believe at that point that sanctification is done. I know everything. Might as well end it tomorrow. The reality is Jesus will continue to teach us. One of the beautiful things about us is when we choose not to learn any more about Jesus, I believe he rips open a box and is like, you're going to learn one way or another. So the, what I want you to hear from me as youth leaders, when you're thinking about the next generation, the more important part is not necessarily what are you teaching them, but what is Jesus teaching you? Because if Jesus isn't teaching you anything, you are not useful to the next generation. Does that make sense? It's, it really puts the onus back on us to continue to tear open boxes, make sure that whatever box we have Jesus in is fully, completely open, right? Um, don't seal that up. What I, what I like to say is that when you hear that ripping sound, you know, that, that horrible ripping sound, that is Jesus trying to get out, right? And I, sometimes the horrible ripping sound is something in your life starts to show up where you're like ah I'm frustrated with this I don't know what this is I honestly think that's Jesus trying to teach us something that we didn't previously understand now um, not to advertise for something but I avoided this book for years and years and years and years and years it's called soul care um, and the story I have to tell you is that I was at youth pastors, not youth pastors retreat. I was at the prayer retreat last year. Um, and it was, we went through this prayer retreat. And generally what happens at prayer retreat, it's like a youth retreat for adults, right? Um, so there's like worship and teaching and there's some um, like a lot of food. And um, basically I went through prayer retreat last year, coming to the fact that I am now executive director of Camp Camasol, scared to death, taking on a new job in a new city. I've been speaking at summer camps for 20 years. I've never ever led a summer camp. So it's altogether terrifying. Um, so I go through this thing. God does some amazing work in my life through the worship, through the teaching times. And then Thursday morning, um, just about to eat breakfast and you know when you're eating breakfast on Thursday morning that you're basically going to drive away from the conference so everything God's going to do is done at that point so you're like okay thank God I'm done <sighs> and I saw one of my friends uh, Mandy Santana whose um, husband works in um, some small town in Alberta hmm. and I can't remember it but it doesn't matter um, but she was like glowing, right? You know how some people, they've gone through something where you're like, wow, 
you could see it on her face that something had changed. And I said to her, what happened? What did you do? What's going on? Um, and she said, I experienced deliverance through a prayer team. And I went, ah, oh, I need that. I, you know, just give me a little deliverance. Uh, hook me up with some deliverance. That's all I need. Um, and so I said, like, tell me, where did you get this deliverance? Um, like I could just get it from somewhere. <laughs> um, and she sends me to these prayer people who had been all week long they'd been there praying for people and uh, and I go up and I'm like oh I, I oh, Maddie told me about you guys I, I, I could you give me a you know I'm just like ah it sounds so weird when I say it but I'm legitimately going I'd like you to pray for me I would like some deliverance right um, and this lady don't know who she is but she says to me you are not ready for deliverance I think you should go through the soul care process and I was like that's rude <laughs> I was like what is wrong with this lady um, so I went back to the breakfast table thing because literally I saw her as we were getting food I'm like ah and then I go sit down at the table and I'm like you won't believe these people. I couldn't believe it. They told me that I have to read a book before they'll pray for me. Right? And they're like, that sounds odd. I know. And they're like, which book? Do you, did, and they said I should read the soul care book. And then these two people at the table, uh, Andy and Sarah Hunter, were like, actually, I think you should read the soul care book. Which then I was like, whatever. Um, Obviously, I know better, right? Because Jesus is sealed up in a box, and I'm good. I, I know everything I need to know. I've been in youth ministry 20 years. Jumping fast forward, um, it's now January. So that was November. It's now January. I haven't touched this book, even though I've owned this book for years and years and years. I've even given this book out to people, right? And so I'm like, ah, sounds like you should... <laughs> so my buddy Andy Hunter, he uh, I happened to see me in church, and he's like, "Hey, have you read the Soul Care book?" Which he actually gave me a copy, even though I probably had five in my house. And I was like, "Oh, you know, I'm very busy. I'm driving back and forth from Calgary." Um, truth be told, I've probably read 14 books since I talked to you. None of them were Soul Care, and he's like really like remember we said we would read the book together and we'd go through it and i was like listen if rob reimer wants me to read this book he should do it in audiobook form that's what i said like how arrogant long story short because i'm way off topic is andy hunter set a date put it in my iphone i went to he, he's an accountant at a marketing firm in Edmonton. I literally went to his office for three months in a row, sitting in his glass office in his chair. He got me a coffee and I cried and cried and cried through every session. People walking by going, what is wrong here? Like what's happening? But God totally ripped open the box. 
and spoke to me in ways that I was not prepared to hear. Um, as I went through chapters, he opened up parts of me that had been closed. And um, anger and shame and fears were opened up and thrown away. Um, and so I would say for you guys, as we look to disciple the next generation, watch for these boxes. The boxes that you've sealed Jesus up in. And it's usually an area in your life that you think you know everything you need to know. And that's, that's a danger for you. So that's my little talk on boxes. Um, and I, I will reference Acts 11. There's this story where Peter is sort of <clears throat> sitting in a house. He's contemplating the church. He has a vision where God brings down this sheet and there's a whole bunch of animals on this sheet and God's like, go ahead and eat those animals. And he's, you kind of remember the story from Sunday school? And he's like, oh, I've never eat those, those are gross. And, um, and Jesus is trying to open up a box because when he opens that box, Peter will realize that the Gentiles also need Jesus, right? So this concept is not new just to us. It was literally even the disciples had boxes, all right? Um, so next, sorry, there you go. So Jesus' methods of discipleship, follow me, be with me, experience this for yourself, lead others in this. Now, in Matthew 10 and Mark 6, we have this crazy story where Jesus is saying to his disciples, all right, you've been with me a bit, now go do this. I give you authority to go to these different towns. I give you authority to preach, which I'm like, that makes sense. I also give you authority to heal and drive out demons. I love that because Jesus walked with them. He showed them what he was doing. He spent all of this time with them. And then he didn't just go, I have to do this forever. You just follow me. I'll teach you. But instead, he's like, okay, I've shown you, given you authority. Go ahead. And what's great about it is, I mean, they, they do it. They go to these other towns. They try it. They're, they're successful. They do come back, and they're like, ah, we know. most of it was good, but we couldn't quite drive these out right. And it was, and then Jesus has to go, well, okay, um, yes. you know, that requires prayer and fasting, but um, let's keep learning, right? And then they just keep walking with Jesus. And I love the fact that it's this kind of a give and take. We walk, and so in in how do we relate to this in youth ministry we walk alongside kids not because we're here to kind of impact them with Jesus we walk alongside them so that we can reveal their gifts and we can um, help them to try them out in a safe place in a safe environment but we're really here trying to identify the things that God's doing in them and really shape them and give fire to them rather than um, trying to impact all of our information into them. Does that make sense? And that's, that's really the process of discipleship is going 
along with the student, and you've already said this, but going along with them so that they grow. And I believe mm -hmm. if our boxes are open, we will also grow. Uh, it's kind of a misnomer to think that we are here to help them grow. And my experience in youth ministry is the longer you're in youth ministry, the more, um, the more we grow. And that's a beautiful thing. Let's go. Um, next. All right. So how did Jesus' methods of discipleship resonate with you? And who in your life is discipling you? Three minutes. Go. Thirty seconds. Wrap it up. Discipleship resonate with you. Anyone? Should we start with your table? Sure. All right. How do the methods resonate with you? 
Oh, what was going with yeah, me? Go for it. Uh, he like kind of talked about how Jesus like knew his disciples well enough for their strengths and weaknesses, and used those to help them learn lessons or even show them what he wanted to show them. Nice. That is a great statement. I love it. That's very applicable to what we do, actually. Like in youth ministry, you really have to know your kids in order to kind of move them along and what God's got. Brilliant answer. Thank you, Logan. What else we got? Anyone? How about your table? Shona? <laughs> um, we talked a little bit about um, how he empowers his followers to and gives them the authority. Like that, we just said that was really cool that he gives us the authority that we can do the same things that he did together. Nice. Is that terrifying in some sense? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think where it becomes terrifying is the idea that we have to do this on our own. But I think there's a there's a theory there that Jesus did it with them and showed them. Um, and we find that in, in especially in youth mission trips. Um, and I see it a lot at Camp Camasol, where someone has been like they've been doing ministry for so long with someone that when someone says hey I think you should take on like program or counseling or something like that or watch it with the CITs when I would say why did you decide to be a CIT and they'd be like well actually it was this person who said I should be a CIT and I thought I guess I could they believe in me Um, so yeah I love that okay let's go to your table Who's good? Um, the thing I said was Jesus' intensity in getting his followers because they just picked up and left their lives to follow him. Right. Yep. Um, yeah, it's that all-in mentality. Hmm. Very good. And how does that relate to our teenagers? If you are following that and they're seeing that, it's gonna be hard to miss nice yeah yeah I do find that like especially with you I mean not that we have favorites but there are some kids who drop their nets and go with you and there are other kids who have like a million other things to do and I think that's where we saw that even even in Jesus um, ministry he picked 12 right like he literally was like I know all of you are following me, but these 12, and I I think there's something so valuable about going, especially if you guys have any kind of small group structure, where you're going, these are the ones that are with me, these are the ones that are kind of assigned to me, but even within that, you're gonna find some that are really wanting to dive in. And I would say, um, put your energy into those ones. Um, you still have to sort of drag the stragglers along, you know, keep them involved. Um, and sometimes they turn into the drop the nets. Um, but your table. Any thoughts over there?
love that. That's a great answer. Um, one of the things that I look for in my own life is when I find that I don't understand something or I can't do something, I try and seek out someone who would answer things differently from me. And I, I think that's what you're probably getting at with Jesus is it's like they probably had people in their lives, the disciples did, who would answer the way everyone should answer. And then Jesus totally did things unusual and strange. But I think they had to learn that in order to be the disciples that started the church. Awesome. All right. Who in your life is discipling you? Anyone have someone pouring into your life? No? Awesome. <laughs> I want to say that that's the most terrifying thing, and that's why I put this answer in. I have a, a whole entire mentoring talk um, that I gave to some leaders at a church a few months ago. Um, the leaders in the church, right? And the elders were there. Um, and I put in the question, who is mentoring you? Um, and ghost town. Um, I truly believe that unless someone is pouring into your life, you are going to get spent in youth ministry. Does that make sense? Um, and it's honestly, it's your job to find someone to pour into you. Um, and a lot of times it's the awkwardness of asking someone, can you walk with me through the next six months, can you meet me once a month? Can uh, we kind of chat about, and what I would do and what I've done, like Andy Hunter chased me down with the soul care um, process, but um, other people in my life, I can think of uh, Jamie Moffat or Kevin Ford, who I went to and said, I need to learn this from you. Um, I remember going to Ed Koning many, many times to just say I don't understand this and he got it like there's some people who are better parents than me and I went to find out why um, and often it wasn't like a pastor of some sort it was like a regular human being who I think was being successful in one area of their life and I just wanted to learn um, and so I would say to you guys find someone and it's gonna take the ask the very scary ask because you admit First of all, that I don't know everything, which is terrifying for North American Christians. I don't know why. Um, but then to also say I really need to learn, it's so good. So let that be a challenge for you. Find someone, and it's not Andrew, right? It's not Andrew, it's not Nick. It's someone other than that. And I would prefer it to be someone, I don't care if they're your same age, but they need to be further along spiritually. Does that make sense? I'd prefer them to be someone older and wiser than you because they can teach you something that maybe you don't know specifically about their generation. But, all right, enough about that. Let's keep moving because I feel like I'm using up all my time. Mm -hmm. All right, here's a statement. Discipleship is more than conversion and baptism. I heard a great discussion at this table uh, about uh, conversion versus disciple. Can you guys sort of... We did Christian stuff. Yeah, okay. 
Christian versus disciple maker. Is that what it was? Can someone give me some some flesh on the bones there? Well, I uh, yeah, I they influenced one of the podcasts that I listened to that mentioned it. There's definitely separation between discipleship and Christianity being a Christian. Right. So discipleship is pursuing Jesus 100%. Being a Christian is everything else. Right. And so, and with my spiritual journey, and all the time, all those years where you're kind of just putting a five minute effort in. Yeah. That, that doesn't get results. So, you, a person really has to push on the relationship. Dialing on the Holy Spirit, one thing the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you to do. Yep. And that involves like significantly more time than five minutes. Sure. Yeah. It involves meditation, which is studying the scriptures. In particular in particularly um, focusing on Psalms. Because Psalms um, explores all the human emotions. Right, yep. Yeah, l- let me let me just um, not stop you there because it's brilliant, but I got to keep moving. But I do, I, I love the clarification of sometimes we have this um, this idea, specifically I, I think we have this concept in Christianity that as long as we lead someone to Jesus, our work is done, right? And it's this whole idea that we've given them fire insurance, right? So we've saved them from hell, we're good to go. Um, and my preference would be that we save them from hell so that we can really drive heaven um, into them. I think that obedience is so much more important than salvation. Um, and it's, it's absolutely crucial that kids continue to push, play, uh, and follow, follow, follow. Because uh, what Stefan said about the pursuing Jesus is so so crucial um but love that keep going next all right so this is something that i built for my youth ministry um because a lot of times our youth pastors and you our youth leaders you may find this struggle at yourself is this idea that um we get a kid and specifically a grade seven kid grade seven eight or nine kids and you just you feel like if you can't get them to conversion or baptism we're not doing anything uh and the way i sort of did this in my head there was um there was i don't know if it's still around but there was like a role-playing game created by um i don't know what company it was but they were called hero clicks and they were little miniature guys and you would click this wheel on the bottom of them that would tell you how much like experience points they had like because it was like a board game <laughs> um and so then what i would do is i'd say all i really want in the course of one year is for you to help your student move one click closer to jesus um and what that could look like with some kids is it's like I want them to choose to 
to read the Bible on their own. I want them to choose to come to youth group without their parents. To, like, small, tiny things, but for a student, that could be monumental. Right? And at summer camp, a lot of times, they want to go, did we lead a kid to Jesus? And I'm going, ah, maybe. But I think what I saw at summer camp, specifically at Camp Camisol, around the fire, is all these kids making solid foundational decisions for their walk with Jesus. And that is one, two, it might be 16 clicks for them. And they're like, they're determining when I go back to school, I'm not gonna choose this group of friends. I'm gonna read my Bible. And even if they're not successful, the fact that they had that decision means the Holy Spirit was working. Right? And it was my way of kind of helping you understand that the walk is so much more important than a, a monumental moment. But as you walk, you're going to run into these monumental moments. Um, so the key is to celebrate both, celebrate both the plateaus and the valleys. Um, and questions and doubt are very important for a junior high kid. Um, if they come up with doubt, bring it on. If they come up with, here's why I don't believe. Um, that really is, to put it into the phrase, they're searching their fanny pack and they're going, I don't think I believe in this. And what you want them to do is find out for themselves. Just because you tell them it's right, doesn't make a hill of difference to their pursuit. They have to decide. And it's hard, it's painful. We wanna just go, no, it's right. Believe me, I tell you, I experienced this, ah! Uh, but they're like, ah. Eh. Unfortunately, they've gotta do the studying, they've gotta do the digging. So sometimes with doubt, it's better to say, I don't know, or I'm not gonna give you that answer. Are you willing to do the research? Or are you just gonna throw stuff around? Because um, sometimes if you can turn them back to do their own research, they're gonna do it. Um, but sometimes kids just don't wanna unpack their fanny pack. And it's not your job. Does that make sense? It's super frustrating. Let's go next, because I'm running out of time. Uh, 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 uh. I'm going to skip this part so I can keep moving. Um, and also, I feel like if I threw this at you, you'd be 10, 15 minutes uh, into it. But I want you to really think about this. The plateaus and valleys that God used in your life. If we can identify our own plateaus and valleys, it's easier, as, easier for us to walk a student through theirs. But if we haven't taken the time to walk through our plateaus and valleys, we are not able to accept the students. Now, um, all throughout the Old Testament, there's these huge passages where, um, like one that you can look at is Joshua 24, where Joshua, even though all the people were there, still says, here's the things that God did in our lives. Here's the things that God did in our lives. Here's another thing. And they're going, yeah, we were there. 
it's so important to remind yourselves of the places where God, specifically as we think about it, all the places where God ripped open a box in your own life and kind of said, hey, I'm bigger than you thought. Um, as you identify those and you relate to those, when a teenager is experiencing one of those God opens a box moments, um, you can walk with them. Let's keep going. All right, take charge of your own discipleship. I talked to you a bit about this before. Find a mentor. Uh, mentor is first because I think it's most important. I think that the Christian life is relational. Um, you're not going to stick with the same mentor the rest of your life. Literally, sometimes it's three months, sometimes it's six months, sometimes it's two or three years. Sometimes it is a, a lifelong thing. But seek out people who can pour into your life. Um, as you have someone pouring into you, you are going to be more ready to pour into someone else. Um, and I would say if you find probably about February or March and you're just completely exhausted from youth ministry, it's probably because someone's not feeding into you. And I want to say again, that's not Andrew or Nicole or Nick's job, right? It's literally you find someone who can pour into you. I guarantee there's people out there, a lot of them have not thought about mentoring you because they themselves feel inadequate to mentor you, right? Um, I was sitting in church on Saturday night and I saw the Armstrongs be behind me and I turned around at the end of um, service and I said, have you ever done pre-engagement mentoring for anyone? And they said, no. And I said, well, my son is down there. I want him to get engaged to the girl that he's sitting with, but I want them to go to engagement counseling. Have you ever considered doing this? And these people have the most phenomenal marriage of anyone I've ever met. And she's like, uh, I, I, I couldn't imagine us doing that. We are, we don't know the first thing. And I'm like, yes, you do. Are you kidding me? You are amazing, right? And they've, they've raised like incredible kids. I mean, it's just like, ah. So. Um, approach the people um, and if they're like I don't feel adequate for this then you say to them Chet Kennedy told me to ask you right and they'll be like who is that and then you can sick them on me and I will give them the same lecture I think the body of Christ needs the body of Christ to actually wake up and speak to each other and literally pour into each other's lives um, also you could find resources don't just do that, please, right? Find the mentor, then also do some research on your own. Podcasts are great for that. Pray, read your Bibles, learn, and teach. I do find as a preacher and as a teacher and as a writer, um, when I sit down, take my thoughts and actually pour them to someone else, they become more real for me, right? And I have to live it if I'm gonna teach it, right? So I have to, while I'm doing a discipleship talk, I better have people pouring into me. 
right? That's the biggest thing. So, and I put them in that order. It's so important. Find the mentor first, right? And I, I, I know you're probably like, ah, oh, seriously, do that first. All right, next. All right, um, this is, I don't have a lot of time for this one, but um, The Way of the Shepherd by Kevin Lehman is a great book. Um, I would encourage all of you to get it and read it, but it's this whole idea that um, he's training a student to become a CEO of a corporation, and he, the student just needs, its intern just needs to become a manager, and he takes them out to a field full of sheep and he talks to him and he says, like, there's a whole bunch of points, but these are the ones that I think are relevant for us. Know the condition of your flock. If you don't understand the students and what they are dealing with, you are not going to be effective in discipling them. Um, they need to be able to identify with you. And that means you have to, at some point, be real. Not unloading everything. That's dangerous. <laughs> um, but be real enough to admit that you're not perfect would help. Um, making your pasture a safe place. I know this sounds really, really, really strange, but too many youth leaders do not know their students' names. Three or four months in, if you don't know your kids' names, oh, it's so, so bad, right? Know your kids' names. I don't care if you have to play the name game every bloody week. Do something so that you know their names. Also, when your parents, when the, when the students' parents don't know your name, um, it makes it very hard for them to actually thank you for the incredible job you're doing. Right? And then they call up Andrew, and he also doesn't know who your youth leader is. <laughs> um, so... Names! Um, make your pasture a safe place. Starts by learning their names. Uh, he does talk about the staff of direction, the rod of correction. It's just the whole idea that what I used to say, um, you are youth leader first, friend second. Um, get that part. And then heart of separate is you know, basically love these kids. Let's keep going. This is the last one I want to deal with before we get to question and answers. Oh, this is probably clickable. So, yeah, there we go. Let's just go through all three of these. Oh, that's pretty fancy. All right. Um, three types of conversation that lead to life change. I actually stole this from my mentoring talk, but I think it's important for you to understand. Um, oftentimes in a kid's life, they will use not the word stuck, but the, in their phrasing, they'll talk about not being able to move forward, not knowing how to proceed, not knowing what the next step is, all of those things. When you find that a student feels stuck, um, there's kind of three things I've found where a kid can get stuck. First thing where a kid is stuck on a spiritual issue. There's something they don't understand about Jesus or they don't understand about how the Holy Spirit works. Anything like that, for you, um, that's, that's a discipleship conversation. You are safe to have a discipleship conversation. It's simply finding resources, finding places in the Bible 
where you can kind of talk through this idea and help a student become unstuck. Next, stuck because of decision making. And I want you to understand decision making is if you as a youth leader realize this kid has a decision to make, both decisions are good, but he needs to make one. So in some sense, that's where a kid's like, I'm in grade 11, I don't know if I wanna take you know, more shop classes because I want to go into trades or if I want to take this because I want to be an engineer or whatever. And you're going, ah! Now, a lot of us go, mm, uh, more money here. And we want to answer. That's actually not your job. If you answer that, um, and not to pick on our Asian kids, but if you answer that, what will happen is the Asian kids will do what they were told to do and then five, ten years from now, they'll go, I never wanted to be an obstetrician or whatever. <laughs> I wanted to be this. Um, and, and I would just say, it's so important to let a student make a good decision on their own. So that becomes a coaching conversation. In a coaching conversation, as opposed to a discipleship conversation, we ask great questions. We don't give answers. It's so incredibly hard to do, but it's so important when you have a kid who needs to unpack and they really need to sort out what they believe and what they're going to do. Ask great questions. Um, now, if you identify that a student is stuck because of brokenness, so there's something in their life that is pain, hurt, they're damaging, there's suicide, there's abuse. That's a counseling conversation. And our job is to have the mentee or the student seek professional help. And we walk with them on the journey. We are not trained, we are not professional counselors. Uh, and so with our youth ministry, I'd be like, the day this happens, your first statement is you need to see a counselor and the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go to see Chet and we're going to explain the situation. Right? Um, if a kid's cutting, if a kid's suicidal, all of these things you have to report on, they're being abused, we step it up the chain quickly. For the sake of this kid's healing, we do that. Um, so we as youth leaders do not have counseling conversations with students. Does that make sense? It's really hard, it's really frustrating, but we are not trained in this. Uh, and it's a dangerous world out there for teenagers. Uh, so, I think we might be done. Are we done? Oh, we got, uh, uh, uh. all right, yes. We have one more pause and discuss. Um, what are we looking at for time, Andrew? Should uh, I kill it? I, yeah, could we wrap up? Give some time for...